Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. I worked as a speech and writing tutor at a community college for, for several years between my early and mid-twenties. And I had a student while I was there who would hang out in the tutoring center. And we called the tutoring center the debate lab because that's it was the big room where the debate team would meet up and practice. And he would just hang out there at first because he was there getting tutored and he liked the environment. And then he saw the debate team practicing and he thought it was interesting and so he joined. His name was Peter and he was tall and he was handsome and he had very green eyes and he had this wide sparkly smile and he talked about guns all the time. But he talked when he talked about them, he referred to them as firearms. He seemed to always be reaching for like the bigger, more dignified word, but he would do it in a clunky way. Like one time, instead of saying, for instance, I went, I saw a listing for a gun on Craigslist, and then I went and I bought it from some dude, I met him in Homestead, he would say, This gentleman, I met him online, and I said, Sir, I would like to purchase the firearm that you have listed for sale. And when I said that to him, he wrote me back and he was like, you know, for sure, just drop in and I'll hook you up. And I said, sir, I mean no disrespect, but I'm simply looking to procure a firearm from you. I do not feel comfortable doing so in the home of a stranger. So let us just comport ourselves to a public setting where we can comfortably facilitate the transaction and then you and me can go our separate ways. He would go on trips with the debate team and he would lose whenever he competed and then like he would start fights at the food court of some random Florida rest stop or he would get caught sneaking liquor into a hotel room and he'd have to be disciplined and like suspended from the club. He had a very young daughter, I think she was like two years old at the time and he would often talk about like how great and inspiring it is to be a father and how he was so enriched by it and he doesn't get along with her mother but even she is very vocal and admiring about his skills as a father. One day he was going on and on about like paternal enrichment and someone from the debate team interrupted him and she was like, what's your daughter's name? And Peter went quiet and he just like blinked and he hesitated so long that like everyone started laughing and then he got up and he left. A couple weeks before Thanksgiving this year I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw Peter's face and in the news and I thought gee haven't seen that face in a while wonder what he's up to and when I watched the news story accompanying that photo it turned out he shot three people to death if you work in a community college you're gonna see more students with like physical handicaps and behavioral issues you're gonna see more mood disorders and mental illness and cognitive impairments than you would see in like a typical university and it's not because these people aren't intelligent or it's not because they're not capable as students the reason for it is most likely like a two-pronged thing the first thing is for students with disabilities who need some measure of caretaking or steady help getting through their day-to-day -day, it's probably just prudent for them to like stay near home base because of the support system they have with their family and secondly if you do have a disability especially something that calls for regular medical assistance even if it's very mild even if it's just like two doctor appointments a month and some medication, that's probably taken a big chunk out of your finances already. You know, 66.5% of bankruptcies, personal bankruptcies in America are caused by medical expenses. But yeah, if that's your situation in life, you're just freighted by chance with huge medical expenses, it makes more sense 
to go to a four-year public college than a university. This guy I'm telling you about, Peter, he was one of like just the handful of students who seemed to have some sort of malady. I guess that was actually frightening to the people who saw it. Or unsettling, if not like outright make you want to scream and run. He just seemed like an asshole and a narcissist. And people would often say like, this dude makes me uncomfortable. He didn't do anything wrong or like explicitly rude or invasive. I just got really bad vibes. He made me really uncomfortable. And now obviously in the wake of his triple homicide, I don't feel like I can look back and comfortably be like, yeah, see, he was evil the whole time. He was obviously troubled. There was obviously something wrong with him. I don't know if it was like a personality disorder. I don't know what it is. I was always very liberal about saying like, God, I can't stand Peter. He's such an asshole. But then it makes me wonder like, is everyone who's an asshole like, you know, behavioral issue underneath? I don't know, man. When it comes to disabilities, I mostly worked with students who are on the autism spectrum. I'm not even sure if disability is like the right word. I'm just grouping together in my mind the students who needed a little extra help. But I noticed something about students who are on the spectrum. Since I was mostly tutoring them for like entry level speech and writing classes, the intention was mostly to get them to practice writing and practice giving speeches. And when you want someone to practice, you, you try to put them on sort of comfortable territory. Have them riff about subject matter they already know or are already excited about. And so the assignments tended to be kind of autobiographical. Pick your favorite fictional character and come up with three ways that you are similar to that character. And I found when I would tutor students who were on the spectrum that they watched a lot of anime and they wanted to orient all of those autobiographical kind of media-based assignments around their favorite anime. I didn't think much about it. I was just kind of dreading it because I don't really like anime. But now I'm starting to think that there's a connection because one commonality among students who are on the spectrum is that they would have a self-acknowledged hard time reading people's emotions, detecting emotional nuances. And I finally made the connection like, if you have ever watched an anime, you might have noticed that there is zero emotional nuance in anime. That's a dramatic statement. But for the most part, it's like every character's emotion is writ loud. The color palette changes to reflect a character's emotions. Their bodies snap into weird contortions depending on how they feel. Their postures change. Their, their eyes will go to little tiny dots if they're baffled or huge puppy dog eyes if they're feeling vulnerable. And I think viewers on the autism spectrum might find some comfort in just like, the emotional legibility of anime characters. It's, it's like reading a book in, in large print, which I almost never see anymore. I think bookstores tend not to order any but like the mega bestsellers in large print because they cost a lot more money. But the other day at a thrift store, I saw one for the first time in a while, and it was a Dean Koontz large print book because Dean Koontz is like a huge bestseller. Dean Koontz is pretty religious too. Uh, and uh, the the dozen or so novels of his that I've read are all like, they all, they all tend to depict three things. There's a loving heterosexual couple at the center of the story. They are both armed with guns and fleeing some kind of malevolent entity. And there's a golden retriever in the story. The reason for the golden retriever is that Dean Koontz had a golden retriever. Koontz's dog was named Trixie. And he wrote a book about her called A Big Little Life. And in the book, he just like talks about like her soul and how she was incredibly smart and attentive and she would overhear how often Dean Koontz and his wife talked about nachos and then suddenly she starts responding to the word nachos. I never finished the book, it was really boring, but I remember this came out in like 2011 and it was one of the first times that I put a book down and I was thinking like, this book was published as a favor to keep Dean Koontz happy. 
It was literally just 200 pages of like photos from home of him wearing a birthday hat with his dog and telling stories. It was like the written equivalent of talking to the only sober person at a party who is telling you stories about unfunny shit that his dog did, but he's laughing as he tells the story and so you feel forced to be polite and to smile along. And the reason for that analogy is because I did find myself like smiling along while I was reading the book, not because I was amused, but I was smiling along because I felt like I was in the author's company, and I guess that politeness reflex is so deeply ingrained. I would just be smiling at my Kindle, and someone would say, hey, what's funny? And I would say, literally nothing. It's the closest manifestation I've ever seen of that joke people tell about really famous writers, like, oh, he's so famous he could publish his grocery list. Although, another person who's like that, who published a lot of bullshit books that nobody bought, but he kept getting book deals, is former president Jimmy Carter. I interviewed Jimmy Carter's biographer on the show here a couple years ago. His name is Jonathan Alter. And after we finished the recording, I was like, so are you still in touch with the Carters? And he was like, yeah, I was just up there. Um, I guess, is it Plains, Georgia? He said, I was up there a couple weeks ago. Um, I forget what they were celebrating. And he was like, but man, Jimmy is in bad shape and he's not doing great. And his kids were telling me the same thing. He had a bad fall recently and he was really Really bruised up and um, they were telling me basically like I should get reconciled to the fact that this might be the last time I'm gonna see him and Alter really did seem shook up by that but not only has Jimmy Carter survived two subsequent years he went into palliative hospice care 10 months ago I just looked it up 90% of hospice patients die within six months of their admission into hospice care. And if someone had told me that statistic before Jimmy Carter went into hospice care, I would have said, yeah, no shit, and you would die too if someone tied you to a bed and fed you morphine and chocolate. But that was like a naive impression because like whenever someone in my own social or familial orbit has gone into hospice care, it's usually because they're in like the last 48 hours. My cousin's husband's mother uh, well, let's, okay, break that down. The man to whom my cousin is married, his mom. She works in hospice and she's worked there for like 25 years. And one time at a family dinner, I asked her, what are the most requested like deathbed treats? And she named the top things like that. Music, chocolate, wine, and cigarettes. She said those are the most common things people want on their deathbed. And interestingly, I did a little research after that and I found out that those are the most common things that people want. Although frankly, this sounds square, maybe. I, I am surprised that cigarettes are still popular. Uh, talk, no, talking about cigarettes, that reminds me of Bill Cosby's Twitter page. First of all, I don't imagine it is Bill Cosby himself running that page because I'm pretty sure he's blind. But whenever someone on Twitter goes, Bill Cosby didn't do it. Bill Cosby retweets it, which is just the weirdest, like fucking darkest, most pathetic back and forth. But it's also weird to realize like there are still a lot of people who fuck with Bill Cosby. And I bet all throughout Cosby's career, long before accusations came out, sure it, it's many, many people who have turned to someone as soon as he left the room and just said like, that dude's a monster. Don't ask me what's going on there. I just get bad vibes. And then probably one day, couple years, couple months, couple decades down the line. They saw his picture in the news and they thought, gee, haven't seen that face in a while. I wonder what he's up to.